Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each week, each and every week in the term, we'll uh, be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting to be finding out what inspires them and getting some top tips, resources and philosophies that they think are really important in this wonderful world of primary education. Thank you once again for listening this week. Please do uh, subscribe to the podcast. Please review um, the podcast as well. It would be great to share this uh, primary education voice even further than we already are. So uh, thank you so much for listening today. Today we sat down with Chris Lawson. Now Chris uh, was recommended to us, and this is a first for the podcast, uh, by email. Uh, And this was actually sent by a person who has been affected by Chris and his teaching. In particular, one of their children uh, was in his class. Um, and they've listened to the podcast uh, and they were really impressed with what they heard uh, in terms of going in, into depth with the discussion. And they wanted to have Chris onto the podcast. I want to share a little bit from the email, actually, because this gets across really uh, just how important um, this really um, is to have Chris on the podcast today. Uh, they say, uh, Chris has been out of this world in terms of emotional support and teaching uh, for my son. And they name their son, which I'm obviously not going to do. Um, I can't say I've ever experienced such an amazing teacher before. He really does go the extra mile. He's always there day and night. If there's a problem or equally a call to say it was a a successful day. He's in charge of safeguarding at the school and is heavily involved in mental health awareness. The school is involved in Stable Lives, a scheme that takes young people and adults to spend time with horses. And my son's been luckily uh, involved to help build his confidence. And it's been amazing. Um, it's basically just, uh, you know, great to hear from this this uh, listener who have sent in this uh, opportunity to interview someone who's had a real impact on someone in their role in primary education. And so after reading that, I just thought I had to get Chris onto the podcast and to, and to hear uh, just what he thinks is important about primary education and some of the ideas that he has used in his practice, which clearly has had such a great impact. So sit back, sit back reflect and relax as you listen uh, to Chris Lawson on his episode today. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Chris Lawson. How are you doing today, Chris? Very well indeed, Matt. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Thank you so much for joining us today and spending some of your summer holiday uh, with us to uh, share some of the things about primary education. Thanks for your time. No worries. Looking right, sunny out. <laughs> absolutely. Let's uh, get start with your quick fire questions. Uh, first of all, what is your Twitter handle? Um, Mr. Underscore L underscore EDU or EDU. Excellent. And how many years have you been in primary education? Oh, this this got me when I actually counted back. It, it's 10 going into 11 years. Fantastic. Oh, you've had a, a landmark year. It just happened then. Yeah, just gone in, in the funnest, funnest of times. Amazing. Uh, and in those 10 to 11 years, what's been your primary journey so far? What roles and responsibilities have you had over that time? I feel like I'm stealing from other people already from from previous podcasts gone by, but I've done pretty much everything. Um, I spend most of my time in Key Stage 2. I've led maths and English. Um, I've been DSL now for sort of six or seven years uh, for the school. And then I have led computing, digital strategy. I've got loads of fancy titles and fancy names. Um, and now I've been a deputy for a while and an assistant head. Um, in a, a lovely school in Parbold, 
uh, out Wigan way in the northwest. And um, yeah, loving life. But yeah, I've done a bit of everything. If I had a hat for everything that I've um, done, it would be a very tall head I would have. <laughs> it sounds like it. Fantastic. Uh, it, what is your favourite subject and why, Chris? Oh, my favourite subject. I do. I'm a big fan of RE. I trained um, primary school and I also trained in secondary. So I taught right up to A level when I was training um, and I really enjoyed that. Um, but now I'm actually in the classroom. I would probably say I, I still I'm a big fan of my maths. Um, I, I love I love teaching maths. It's your day to day grind that becomes joy um, when you really get those break through those barriers with some kids. So yeah, big fan of maths. And thankfully, I'm maths lead these days as well. So that helps. That always helps when you're leading something you're passionate about, doesn't it? <laughs> it's yeah. when you get given something you're not so passionate about. You've got to work a little yeah, harder, maybe. About six years ago, I um, yeah, that was me. But um, I'm back in back in maths camp now over English, I think. Um, but it was still still good learning, good learning whilst I had it. Absolutely. In your own education, uh, Chris, who uh, who was a favourite teacher that you had, and why were they your favourite teacher? Yeah. Do you know, when I first listened, it was a couple of months, maybe a little longer now, I listened to sort of the first one of these podcasts and, and that question was asked and I went on a right old trip down memory lane myself, just sort of thinking, I didn't actually think I'd be on the podcast actually, um, giving my answer myself. But I think for me, it was definitely my year six teacher, his name was Mr. Derbyshire and, and it was, I hadn't particularly had a great time coming up through school. I'd, I found learning incredibly difficult um, and and where many a teacher just made it seem like it was my fault that I was finding things difficult. Um, he really sort of flipped it on its head and and took it on that it was his job to make learning easier for me. And and actually doing that probably saved my educational career to a point where there was an element that I believed in myself as I went into high school, which was just equally as tricky. Um, and college, to be honest. Um, you know, my, my education career wasn't one of... Um, academic success straight away I had to work twice or three times as hard as the person sat next to me to get just about the same sort of grade or mark as they did and so for me it was the way that he sort of went one step further with how he looked after me cared for me made sure I felt positive and happy about myself and that meant that I believed that I could learn and and actually did really well and came out of year six with the expected standards of the time where it was realistically in year five I was nowhere near so it was a big change and he was a major part of that oh, amazing that sounds like a great inspiration there thanks for sharing about that um and finally if you had to or if you already do what after school club would you run oh, so we I'm in charge of after school um curricular extracurricular things in our school and we have an incredible offering um so this year we did rubik's cube club for the first time it was online as well so it was in school and then the kids could go home and they all created videos of the different steps that they could learn off each other using this app um, which we'll talk about later called Shobi. but we we use that and um, so i'd like to do another rubik's cube club maybe like take the triangular cube or whatever it's called and and try and learn that along with the children and then the other one is um, our mem- one of our members of staff. Um, we think it might be the first in the country, so maybe the listeners can let us know. Um, but it's freestyle frisbee, so it's um, doing like freestyle frisbee tricks um, and frisbee golf. Mm-hmm. And he's only let me cover it once, and I think I nearly destroyed like all his work that he'd put in beforehand. That's our head teacher, Mister Cockshead. So um, I'm not sure he'll let me do it, but 
actually I'd love to have a go at, at a run on it for a couple of weeks to see to see what um I could get up to with that that sounds amazing I love I, I love asking this well I love all the questions we ask on this podcast because it gets we get so many different answers and interesting ideas that sounds fascinating for a freestyle frisbee club that's brilliant thank you for that and the and the Rubik's yeah. Cube, to be honest that's he let, pretty unique he let, us, um, he let us into a secret but he was like some sort of national champion about eight ten years ago or he, he traveled over Europe doing this freestyle frisbee and and um yeah he's he's an it could be one of my ones to recommend he's a really interesting guy is john um but yeah fantastic okay well that's brilliant thank you so much for those things let's uh, focus now uh, more more back on you chris and think about uh, this question what inspired you to become involved in primary education in the first place yeah i think actually we've, we've almost prefaced it with um with mr derbyshire mr d and 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 how he made me just feel very different about my educational journey um and and actually that was always something inside me that as I was growing up through education my mum was a teacher um, as a lot of teachers you know my mum but maybe slightly different um I, I'll always remember being in the dining room one night when my mum was marking at like 10 11 o'clock at night and I and I remember saying to me don't ever become a teacher Chris like don't ever become a teacher and I remember turning around to her and saying, but I'm going to be better than you, mum, because I'm really good with technology and you're not. And um, and I remember that moment so vividly. Um, and it sort of came true. I was really good with technology and it means that now anytime there's anything with a plug, um, I have to come and solve it and sort it. Um, but actually... I was I was surrounded by education. I was in my mum's school an awful lot. I did a lot of the summer schools and would like lead them at the age of ten and eleven years of age with ten and eleven year olds. Um, and it was just I was surrounded by that. But then I think it was really building those relationships with particular children, seeing those, seeing that, and it was never really down to the authority element of it. I find that sometimes quite uncomfortable in, in in primary education, to be honest, the the authority, you know, and and doing things by force or because you have to, because it's respectful to do it. I think what I really enjoyed was the other element of it where you build a relationship and you get the exact same outcome, but with a mutual understanding of care for each other or because I want you to be great, not because you have to be. Um and I think that came from my mum as well. She always used to have really high aspirations for the children. That she'd, she'd come home and talk about them. And, you know, oh, I want to push them further. I want to get them to the next stage. And it was always because she wanted betterment for them mm. rather than because she had to. And I sort of think that was probably one of the main inspirations, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you obviously mentioned that in your own kind of development and journey into teaching that you trained in primary and in secondary as well. So, um, you know, talk a bit about uh, the, the, the kind of the differences, the things you liked about secondary, the things you liked about primary, but what ultimately led you to choose primary in the end? Yeah. Um, so I did a key stage, it was called the key stage two, three course, which was a fiddle because actually you taught early years all the way to A level um, within that. Um, I had some really fascinating experiences. I don't, I'd love to hear from other people. We must um, get me on Twitter and, and tell me what their training journey was. But I was in the Isle of Man in year one. Um, I then taught in quite local to me in, in my second year and then third year, they threw me into the Nottingham and I live up in the Northwest. I was out of Edge Hill Uni. 
So, I mean, first of all, I had a very varied experience of training from the Isle of Man to inner city Nottingham, um, <laughs> which you can imagine was quite polar opposites. Um, and from a primary, from a secondary perspective, I was doing RE and there was a big difference between faith schools and non-faith schools. And I found that quite tricky. I also found the secondary school element were maybe as you will see from my top three, you know, I'm relationships focused. I, I care about getting to know children. And I'd, I think in one timetable over a two week timetable, I think I had something like 160, 180 children. Like how can you build that rapport with children within an hour, two hours, and then behavior management becomes more difficult as a result. And then you don't get to teach with the subject with the passion and the vigor that you want to, because you can't, because you've not got the engagement of the children in front of you, no matter how much um, behavior management you try to put in. So for me, it was really a case of, I love taking a class and watching them grow and develop and building them and bringing them on and finding out about the pet dogs and the pet fish and everything else in between. And I think that for me was like the, I could see the progress much more tangibly when um, in a primary classroom to the secondary classroom. And although I loved my form teaching um, in secondary, I still had a real feel for primary. So there was really no doubt going into it after my second year. Um, my, my third year placement in secondary school confirmed that. Um, but it was, I still had a great time, but I was like, I definitely want to, like when I was applying for jobs, it just made it so clear. Um, but that was really difficult as well. I was applying for jobs in Nottingham back up north and having to travel sort of at night and go back the next day and teach in Nottingham and go back for my lesson observations. It was it was really challenging. Um, but I'm a massive believer in when things are difficult, um, it's all the better when you get something um, that you want. And so actually when I what I didn't say when we first started was, I was actually, I'm in the same school that I was 11 years ago. I've not moved. Um, and I'm a big believer that not through lack of aspiration. I mean, I'm in leadership. I'm thoroughly enjoying the role that I'm in, but just because I'm happy. Um, and I think some of that even comes back to just how hard I had to work to get a job in the first place. And once you're in somewhere where you're happy, why would you jump ship to try? The grass isn't always green. How many times do we hear that in education? Mm-hmm. Um you know, and, and so that's another element for me. Um, but yeah, I was secure. I was happy and I'm, I'm not going back to secondary education anytime soon. Um, <laughs> although I do love teaching year six where I'm at now, where I'm at the moment. I've taught year six for about 70% of my time um, I've been teaching and um, I really like that transition. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, you know, I think it's it's interesting just to hear, particularly in that unique position that you've had, because I know that many primary teachers won't have had such exposure in a secondary setting in their development and their training as well. So it's interesting to kind of hear those thoughts there. But like you say, a lot of it's the relationships we build and a lot of it is just how we get to know the children. And, uh, you know, along the way in, in our journey in primary education, there's things that happen and things that experiences that we'll, we, we will remember for a long time. Uh, what's a funny story that you can share from your time in being in primary education? Oh, and um, mine. So if there's anyone who's in charge of health and safety uh, at this point in time, it might be a time to just go and make yourself a quick little drink. And anyone who might be listening to this with my school, um, 
<laughs> and I've just said roughly where we are. Anyway, going back many a year now, probably too long for any consequence to come from it. Um, I was teaching, it must have been, my, I think it might have even been my first year um, in teaching, maybe the October of it. And I could hear like a scuttling running along the roof of the um, of the classroom. So I went to the caretaker of the time, Simon, and I was like, it's like, we need to like get up in that. There's, there's rats, there's rats up in the ceiling. So like, we've got to get it sorted. He's like, oh, we'll, we'll go up at break time. <laughs> like I was thinking, okay. So um, up he went and put the, and this obviously erected exceptional scaffolding, definitely wasn't a ladder on a table. Um you know, so he put this ladder on this table <laughs> and, I mean, erected the scaffolding um, with all health and safety executives. All checked, everything like that, everything in, in line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was cordoned off everything. Um, and he popped his head up. He was like, there is nothing, there's nothing up there. Like, honestly, there's no droppings. There's just nothing there. Go and have a look for yourselves so you know that you're just hearing things. So I went up with a light. And as I did, genuinely, as I turned this light around, something just struck me on the head i very nearly went flying off the very secure scaffolding um, and <laughs> just like startled i looked around the room this bird was like lapping the room um so then we like had to get down and, and we had to try and catch and at this point like my year sixes were, were chanting like by the window like what's going on what's and like we're all looking at it was just absolute chaos and I remember coming home I have um, a little book where I write like three positive things a day and I remember just writing down like no one is going to believe the experience that you've like had today um, and I've somewhere I'll have to when this says I'll have to try and find a photo I've got a photo of me holding this bird like in my hand um, as we tr- had to like let it let it free um, but yeah that's there's that and then on the animal front um Probably about two weeks later, um, some sheep got into the field. We're in quite a rural area. Um, and then another couple of weeks after, still animal-based, we had um, a, a dog called Bruno uh, who lived just on the fields. This was before we got all the really high six-foot fencing all the way around. It was just like a little country picket fence. Um, and I remember this Scotsman at the top of his voice just shouting, Bruno, no, Bruno! <laughs> And like this dog would bound over the school fence and it was it just wanted to play with the children. It just like that was it. And it would run round and it would chase after the balls. And and now like 10 years on, you'd think, oh, what would we what would happen if that like even 10 years ago, you know, we were pretty happy with Bruno just coming for playtimes and like <laughs> jumping back over the fence and going for his dinner. Um, so yeah, most of my funny stories have been with relation to some form of animal um, in a situation that it shouldn't be in. So yeah, there you go. Love that. Well, like you say, in a rural school, I imagine that's often uh, some of the stories that you get. It's just these animal encounters that you uh, have to deal with, which uh, you wouldn't have to. Well, I'm sure in the centre of Nottingham, you're not going to have uh, some shit <laughs> no. uh, getting get into your school <laughs> playground. So it's uh, it, it's those uh, opportunities and those memories that uh, you'll remember obviously absolutely <laughs> that's brilliant well thank you so much for sharing that let's uh, move on uh, to your primary three and for any new listeners the primary three are three things about primary education that the guest thinks is really important primary things about primary education um, it could be ideas top tips 
uh, philosophies, absolutely anything. So thank you for sending me yours, Chris, ahead of time. Let's uh, focus our discussion now on the first one, which is about relationships before learning. So obviously you've mentioned this already quite a bit in terms of something that is important to you. Do you want to talk to us about then, if it is so important to you and you've kind of outlined why that is, how you go about doing that yourself in the classroom and some ideas? Absolutely. So I was really conscious when I came up with my three that I didn't want to be spouting off something that people switch off of, number one, but also that they don't, it's not blue sky thinking. It's just really simple, easy to do. And it's a lot of stuff that we all do, but I think it's just taking it in some ways one step further. And I'll, I'll sort of come on to that in a little while, but it's really that understanding. And it does come from our school ethos. Um, we, we give the pack, we, we support our children with the passion and the skills to really make a difference to society. And that sounds like a massive, massive vision and ethos, but actually how do we start that? And we start that with building a relationship with children so that they feel loved and valued and cared for. It's as simple as that. Um, and we can all do that with a smile at the door when people come in or um, a handshake when non COVID times or whatever it might be, or a high five or, you know, and that's really, really important. But then I think it's all about the effort that you can put into a relationship with a child or with a group of children with a tricky bunch of kids um, really can lead to the greatest of outcomes. And I'm not, I've not got a paper written on it because um, I haven't got time. But if I did have time, um, I absolutely would because the the data speaks for itself of when you invest time with children and you work with them and you get to know them better and you build those relationships before you start that learning. The learning comes because they want to do well. They want to succeed. And and it's the beginning. Quite often it starts with, and I'm sure many of the listeners will will relate to this, it starts with them wanting to do well for you. So he's a really nice teacher. I want to do well for him. And then it becomes, I want to do well for myself because I want to get better and I want to be better. And that's where we want to get them at by the end. Um, and so for me, in the last few years in particular, that's been really, really important. And we had, as a school, very strong relationships with our children post-COVID and, and before COVID. And, and one of the things that we really found useful was that ability to work with each other and, and know our children really well during that time when we were in lockdown learning as well. So I think for me, it was around... My, it's a philosophy, it's a thing, and there's loads of practical steps that we can take. But I was just going to take a moment and talk about this underlying philosophy, which is this idea of one step further. So um, this was told to me actually by a parent who runs a, a charity that I am doing some work with at the moment. Shout out Stable Lives, at Stable Lives. We'll get that in there. Um, it's a mental health charity. It, it supports military and blue light workers and also supports youth uh, as well. And it's all about rehabilitation with horses that have been in um, traumatic situations and they've been rescued basically. And they always talk about this idea of going one step further. So instead of just knowing someone sad, it's going the one step further and not asking them, how are you, but how can I help? 
Um, and, and it really, really hit me that because I think a lot of the time in teaching, we do the first thing. In fact, I saw a really good friend of mine post something yesterday um, just on Twitter and it, it absolutely blew up. But it was just, what's the best thing that you can ask a child? And everyone was like, how are you? And, and I saw that and I thought, that's great. But actually, it's how are you and how can I help? It's go that one step further. Or how are you and how can I celebrate? So how are you? I'm feeling on top of the world. Well, let's celebrate that together. And for me, that concept of one step further, once you build that into a relationship with a child, a group of children, a member of staff, a school community, then it really starts to change lives. You become the change makers. Um, And so for me, one step further, if there's one thing that people can take away in the back of their mind, it's one step further. What can I do? What action can I take but one step more? Now, let me give you an example. So a perfect example would be we had a child who came and joined us uh, last year and came from a different school. Now, if you'd have listened to what that child's transition report said from a previous school, um, you, and ri- you'd have written them off straight away. <laughs> um, and so basically, one step further and relationships before learning is before that child writes the name, does anything of that sort, we need to get them to know that the cared and the valued and the, the known. And that starts before they arrive. So every member of staff knows that child's name before they come through the school grounds. They know that a new child is starting. They know maybe something about them. We, we try to get information from them about things that they're interested in before they start. We try to not just buddy up with, and I always found this funny, but be buddy up with like the nice kid. Well, every kid's nice, aren't you know, every, every kid's got good in them, but who is most suited to this child rather than who's the one who's going to show them the best behavior for learning, for example. Mm-hmm. So we match the children to friends and I'll talk a little bit about this later, but we, we match them to their friend. And then when they arrive, they feel already part of the community. Hey, X, um, I believe you're really into skateboarding. That's amazing. Um, I actually once tried to skateboard. Da, 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 da. And, and straight away, because we've taken that one step further in sharing that information with staff, we've gone that one step further with the classroom and the class quite often and shared it with them and said, hey, X is joining us and they're really into Y. Um, what it means is that they already come in and feel valued. And so this child who'd had a really tough ordeal in their previous school and a genuinely like the biggest success story in my years of teaching this child's journey in the last two years, which makes me incredibly proud of them but it started with we want to know who you are and they obviously didn't want to tell us who they were they didn't want to be sharing that why would you want to know about you know I no one cares about me whatever it might be um and so it was really really important that we built that into our curriculum and then all of a sudden learning heart starts happening and they want to impress and they want to feel good and they know that they can feel good and they know that they feel valued 
And then you might find that they just get something that they've been struggling on and you go and let a member of staff know, hey, do us a favor, go and catch them for five minutes and just tell them that you can't believe that X has just happened. You know, can't believe that you finally got your fractions smashed. That was amazing. And so all these tiny conversations are happening in our school community. All these members of staff, all these children are going one step further. And literally an example of this, one child, one step further. We were going on a residential. A child didn't want to go because they were scared of the dark. This child went one step further, went with his own pocket money, bought a nightlight, brought it into school before the residential and gave it to the kid and said, you can come now because we'll put one, we'll plug that in at night and you'll, you'll have a nightlight. And, and I remember saying to the kid, do you know what you've done? He's like, yeah, I've gone one step further. And I think once you start to even, and you call it out as well, it's not some sort of hidden thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's really, it's, a, it's innate within your, your ethos and your value of your classroom even better if it's within a school, but I equally understand that some schools aren't like ours and that you might only be able to do it insular in your classroom to start with and really build that before you start to make impact wider afield. But yeah, just go one step further. It allows genuine fresh starts and fresh changes. I love that because what you're explaining there is how to, first of all, build an ethos into a classroom, but more than that, it's to build an ethos where the children recognise that and then you're modeling it as the, well, you should be the model of your ethos in your classroom. You can't stand in front of a class in September and say, right, we're going to do this. We're going to look after each other. We're going to do this. And then you're, you know, you see a child come into your class on the second day. You don't really have time because you've got to prep this and do this. And so you say, oh, just get on with that. You know, you need to get on with this and get this done. And you lose that already. But this, I love that that idea of one step further because it is so simple to remember and, and to think, you know, how to apply it. But of course, it's being consistent with it and living it. Uh, and as you do that, like you say, if you take that time, which may take a bit longer than not take going one step further, mm. but the impact it will have then further down the road will then be a much bigger uh, impact in the teaching and learning because they are they feel included, they feel that sense of belonging in that class, don't they? And and and, and briefly, you know, the evidence for that is what I've lived my lived experience in my classes and the classes that go for our school um, and the absolute pride that I felt at the end when our year six is left this year and seeing what type of community and class family we call we don't call them classes we call them class families mm-hmm. you know our class family the way that they left in year six um, one step further works mm-hmm. it works in the SATS results winner um, you know because they all felt more pride in themselves but actually, more importantly, in themselves, they were such a close-knit group who had lots of children join us. I think we had nine children join us in Key Stage 2. Wow. So a lot of children joined the class and were made instantly to feel part of that class because all the other members of this class went one step further. Brilliant. And that, like you say, that sense of family, that sense of unity together will then help and develop that. And of course, you know, you're then not having to deal with as many issues or behavior issues at playtime and things like that because the children are getting along and looking after each other because they are building that sense of one step further together. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Let's uh, take this discussion now into the second of your primary three and talk about uh, technology making things easier. Now, obviously, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some of your ideas about this because you mentioned a lot of the digital work that you've done uh, in your in your leadership and across the years. So do you want to talk to us about, first of all, why it's so important or how uh, important it is to help use technology to make things easier for us? Yeah, I think um, 
listen, <laughs> this is this is a fun one because um, there'll be some people who'll be like, yeah, it's dead easy if you're good at it. Well, we found that in COVID times again, we didn't have a choice, did we? And everyone did incredibly well. Like, I won't mention particular members of the staff in my school by name, but if they're listening, they know who they are. And the fact that they went from not knowing how to turn an iPad on to Zoom in to using Shobi, giving voice feedback, you know, it can be done. I think the biggest, biggest, biggest issue in education that we have is we we implement things that we think are going to make life easier for us, but they actually don't if you don't know how to do them. And from that, then we disengage so quickly with that technology because it's like, oh, it's making things more difficult. Whereas when we can, re- and I hate, I'm not a massive fan of the, the little cliche, but working smarter, not harder. It really does start to work in a classroom situation when you can use technology to its benefit. But you've got to know how. And you've got to sometimes get through that stickability, the, the sticky bit, um, to get beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going to start, or I'm going to talk about sort of, bleeding back into the whole concept of relationships i talked quite high sky thinking sort of around one step further but then how do we actually get to know those children um and i'm just going to talk a little bit about that and how we sort of use technology um and one we have one-to-one ipads you don't need the ipads all day either you know you for many years we were just between two so we'd go um we'd like mornings and afternoons or something like that between two classes. So there was opportunities, even if you have not got one-to-one devices to implement some of this stuff, um, hopefully. So what I'm going to talk about first is I'm going to talk about how we looked at trying to get to know each child better and how we can do that. Because every child wants to tell you about a stone that they've picked up on the way to school and the special stone that then somehow ends up in show and tell and show and tell is something that no, I I might have do some reading at some point and I, I might be convinced differently, but show and tell is not my thing. However, children communicating with me, telling me something interesting and then me saying to them, Hey, do you want to share that with the class? Much better in my opinion. Um, so we use something called um, Shobi through school. It's a learning platform, a hybrid learning platform. Um, and I'm going to talk about that in a bit more detail after. But one of the things that we can do is we can utilize what's known as a daily check-in. So every single day, the children come into school in the morning and they can check in um, to their day. Now, again, I'm not a massive fan of public check-ins. I don't if I walked in in the morning and had to tell people how I felt before a cup of coffee, you know, I'd be the grumpy face most mornings, even when I feel like the world is, even when it's glorious and sunny outside and I'm having a great summer holiday, you know, it's not my kind of thing. And I don't think we should, I don't think it's actually modeling the correct sort of social emotional responses to sort of rate yourself in front of everybody, how you feel. I don't think it's done in adulthood. So I don't know why it should be done in, in childhood anyone wants to argue with me, please um, respectfully do so via Twitter. I'd love to hear an alternate opinion. But we use this private way of communicating, which is these daily check-ins. And we use something called a blob tree. So for the listeners who've never heard of a blob tree, just Google it firstly, and you'll see one. 
Um, but it's a tree, and you'll never guess what it's got all over it. It's got a load of blobs. And what I love, 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 love about the blob tree is the blobs don't have an emotion associated with them. So the blobs are just blobs. And it is down to the child to interpret the blobs and how they are feeling and put them on the tree. And the tree can obviously talk about this at the start of the year the tree can be hierarchical so if you're at the top of the tree you're feeling really good if you're at the bottom of the tree it can be how you are feeling but then equally you can look at how other people are perceiving you so where do other people think you are on the tree versus where are you on the tree there's loads of really good social emotional elements of learning that you you can get in there and if you're really keen that you can use it in re um how would Jesus be feeling um, at his crucifixion on the cross on the blob tree? And half of them have got them the blob falling down. And the other half are like, he's at the top of the tree because he's going home to his dad and he knows that he's, you know. So it's that sort of thing. There's, there's openness for perception as well, which is lovely. So the children basically come in every morning and they, they do that. And then as a teacher, I spend three or four minutes just casting my eye through their entries um, very subtly, maybe if they're doing some morning maths work, whatever it might be. Um, and genuinely, it's transformed our classrooms because we find about pet dogs that are ill. <laughs> um, we find out about fantastic birthday celebrations that they might have had the night before. Um, and they're a little bit tired. Um, you find out if they forgot the homework this that the other if mum and dad have had a fallout if um the thing that's been going on for six or eight weeks is continuing and we need to do more about it are they coming in a good place and quite often we ask them to rate themselves from one to ten as well because it's really good to put any emotion onto a scale to box clever to box that emotion um and and all of this matt came from probably about seven or eight years ago after me feeling like primary education is all relationships focused and relationships led and blah, blah, blah. And I literally one week on a Monday was like, I'm going to make sure I speak to every one of my 32 children that I've got in my class. And I thought, how am I going to do this? So I split my class up into sixes and I had a Monday group and a Tuesday group and a Wednesday group. And so if someone from Wednesday came up to me on a Monday and told me, so I'm like, no, I didn't. Yeah. But like, I, had my, I had my six like key children for a day. And I'd go around at breaks and lunch times one step further, not just doing it in lesson time, go and ask them, how's things, where you up to do? I did that. I was absolutely on my knees by Friday because I'd not had a break. I'd not had a lunch. And do you know what? I got home on Friday night, went to pour myself a beer, feeling really happy myself. And I'd realised that ex-child on Wednesday was off and I'd not spoken to more week, apart from saying good morning and good afternoon and maybe asking the odd learning question. And it broke me because I thought, how can I be with those children six hours a day and still not have a meaningful communication? Does that have to be a conversation? A communication with that child during that day. So how do we do that? We use the blob trees and we also have the communication box. Um, it's an assignment and the children can just ramble on about any old chuff that they want in there. Um and I do the same. So I very often will go and take my phone out when I go for a walk. Um, I am known to speak to animals. Um, the, the children will tell you that. Um, I've got a, a penchant for speaking to sheep. 
Um, and so I, well, I'll go on a walk around the canal and talk to ducks. Very sometimes with my family, and they're like, "What are you doing? Like, why are you recording yourself talking to a swan?" I'm like, "That's Frederick, you know, <laughs> it's Frederick the Swan." But I'll then post those little videos from in the morning, sort of like, "Hey, this is where I've been up to. This is a walk I went on. Look at this sunset, isn't it beautiful?" And we start to build that sort of two-way communication, showing them that I'm a human being. I don't just go in my, my cupboard on a, on a night and wake up the next morning and start teaching again, you know, and, and, and building that. And then that's where the children can do that as well. So how do we, how's that working smarter? Well, it takes the children maybe three minutes, two minutes to check in in the morning. It takes me four or five minutes to click a button to scan through to see the ratings and see how they are. And it normally, normally stops me having somebody in at break or lunchtime because I've pushed a button when they just didn't need that button pushing. Or, you know, a child who's been struggling for three days comes in and says we're in a good place. Well, I'm going to go and spend an extra five minutes with them and make them know that we're in a good place. I'm going to make them feel good um, and try and break that cycle that they've had for the last few days. So that's working smarter, not harder. It's not like a major thing. I'm not saying use a keynote and put all your things in at the start of a week and you know or upload all you can it's not practicalities like that it's again an ethos and a value but it's using technology to do so because you yes you could do it with paper they could all have a piece of paper in the morning 32 pieces of paper like fine no problems but there's also the element of technology which means that i can upload at any point in time i can reply and it's there in the morning when they see it. i can send them a voice note saying hey i'm really sorry to hear that this happened I really, you know, it's really sad and I understand how you feel. But again, that's sometimes better said by a voice rather than via. Um, and and in the umbrella of all this, it probably takes maybe 20 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day to go that one step further with this communication and using technology to do so. But actually, again, the outcomes are much greater than 10, 15 minutes a day. And like you say, one of the things that I think really makes this work for you and your class is the fact you're using the technology to do it because the principle of checking in, the principle of hearing what children are up to, what things have happened is so important. But if you were to do that, well, first of all, on paper, you're going to have to print and slice and copy all the pieces of paper in every single morning in order to make that happen. Uh, then when you take it in, you've got to rifle through the papers rather than mm. have it all there ready on the screen just to scroll through. Uh, yeah, it, obviously, you know, using the technology to make it quicker and simpler uh, is a brilliant uh, principle. And I think, obviously, there may be challenges with schools that don't have the, the, the devices in order to do that. But like you say think creatively of how you could do you know one class having it in the morning have it in the afternoon and you know sharing those devices so that you can then implement that uh, and make that a, a much quicker thing to do now i really think it's a really uh, a useful uh, suggestion that and what i want to do is to move on to the third of your primary three because what i think uh, this will do quite nicely is move into further ideas that you have uh, in in using um, platforms such as Shobi and, and uh, learning platforms to be able to make things easier and more uh, accessible for you as the teacher, but also uh, for children as well. So the third of the primary three is um, thinking about how we can use platforms like Shobi uh, to make things a bit easier for the teacher as well. So do you want to explain some of those for us? Absolutely, yeah. So I've been using Shobi for hmm, nine, ten years. Um and I am one of the resident teachers, so I, I, I help and support other schools and, and give them inspiration and ideas. So anyone listening, whether you know about it or not, 
feel free to get in contact with me. I, I love to chat about this more and, and really sort of show and articulate how we really implemented this platform. So the first thing to make really clear is that um, it wasn't like this before COVID. We um, used Shobi during COVID. It was always used in year five and six. And then it went into three and four and then it was whole school. Um, we uploaded all our work onto there. All the teachers did all their check-ins um, using Shobi and, and so on, left voice notes and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But then we got to um, back face-to-face and we thought, well, we've all been, tr- we're all trained up. We all know how to use this now. So let's really sort of push it through. So we thought again about thinking outside the box We've got a platform there. What's really nice about Shobi is that they don't prescribe how you should use it or use it in this way or, and, and again, not being critical of other platforms, but sometimes they're sometimes a bit locked down in what you can and what you can't do. Um, in Shobi, you just create an assignment and that assignment can be anything. So when I was talking earlier about the communication box, it's a, com- a box called communication box and then they can type into that they can add photos into that they can do anything it's just really really simple and easy um, and intuitive but one of the things that and I'm assuming this is going to be a pain point for most of key stage one staff um was the reading records or actually for just generally parents Matt I know um got kids of your own like that that whole thing of having to sign a book to say that you've read is the most painful thing and then the teacher has to just see that you've said good reading <laughs> like or forgot to change book and and sort of it, and what's the purpose of it like and genuinely I would ask anyone to just think what's the purpose and um, if it's trying to get children to read and checking that they're reading Going back to my wonderful mother, she used to, when I had keyboard lessons, say that I'd practiced for 30 minutes. I hadn't done a jot. And the the keyboard teacher knew that as soon as I walked into the lesson and I couldn't find middle C. So, you know, it's really easy for number one for that to happen. But actually, what's the benefit? What's the benefit? And for me, the benefit is actually us knowing that those children are reading and how can we infuse those children to do so? So we use Shobi. So the children log in at home. And oh my goodness, we have had some of the most exceptional things happen with this. So the children have got the option in Shobi to use voice, to use the camera, um, to take a photo of a book that they might be reading. Um, And they also have the opportunity, which is really cool, to be able to video themselves reading. So we've had children in the back of a car going down to Cornwall reading and the parents just recording them reading in the back of the car um, during half term. We've had uh, one of my year sixes. She would every week sit down with her um, night clothes on and read a nighttime story to the rest of the class. And then we'd share it with everyone else. So because Shobi allows you to like take a child's thing and share it to the class. So she became our resident nighttime like storyteller. And then others were like, well, I want to read my favorite picture book. And so like they'd all start sending in these videos going, hello. Um, one of my kids um, decided that he was going to train himself to sound like the audible person. And so spent his time like reading um, to Shobi as the audible voice. Um, and some of these kids were literally reading for like 50 minutes. Now, again, 
I'm not suggesting that you go through and you listen to that 50 minutes worth of reading. But if you go to 30 minutes in and just say, what wonderful expression when you said that word, then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, you listen to me read for the whole 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah, everyone I did. Um, but these reading records have really taken off. And you know, in life, sometimes things happen for, I always believe things happen for a reason. We did it. And then we got to about March and someone was like, I'm not sure this child's made any progress in their reading. And I said, I know a way to know if they've made progress in their reading or not. And we went right back into their Shobi account and we went back to a, a voice note from September and played the two. Oh my gosh, it was so, so clear. So for all you accountability lot out there um, who are trying to, um, you know, think about, now you don't get that from a paper reading record, do you? Because the parent just said read fluently, you know, but actually, how good is that? And next year, the children will be able to hear themselves read from this September and last September. Um, so that's reading records and and how we've used Shobi to to really sort of re-kick it off, shall we say. Mm. Yeah, it becomes this uh, opportunity to celebrate the reading that's going on at home. And I think one of the big things that, you know, which I'm sure many schools face, and we were talking about this, as I mentioned to you before uh, with uh, Jonathan Coy uh, from Head Teacher Chat about um, suggestions of how we can make reading records you know easier for parents and teachers and i think that's one thing as as i mentioned on that podcast as a parent myself finding a pen in the house for a start is, yeah where's this pen gone that was here like and looking around the house for a pen and by that time like, forget it just just take it um but then like you say even a digital reading record what's even the purpose of that they could as you say the parents could just say oh they read really well and actually you found well they just haven't it's just been written in or whatever it is but I love this idea of using Shobi. And I am going to mention, obviously, any, you know, Shobi, I know you're, you're promoting because it does sound like it's really accessible to use and you can use it in any way you want, which does sound fantastic. And I'm going to start looking into it and see, you know, the benefits of that. But actually, you could do this with other platforms as well. Absolutely. Generate, oh, yeah. generate some sort of way to get the children sharing um, clips of them reading. And then you can share that with the class. And you can just generate this excitement about reading, which... You know, a lot of classes are really screaming out for how we can how can we get children to read at home and mm. enjoy doing that and want to do that. And I think this is a really great way of doing it. And another element of that as well, Matt, is this idea that, you know, if you're listening to a child read in school, how amazing that you record them reading in school and then they can go home and play to the mum and dad, grandma, granddad, auntie, uncle, big brother, sister, little, you know, and, and, and do that. And, and actually, that's how you can engage the parents in it, where they don't see the benefit, they don't see the worth, they don't see the value. Well, as soon as they start hearing their child reader, school, whoa, hang on a minute, you're reading that with such fluency, but, but we always have a fight five minutes before bedtime, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that element. Um, but then there's also really funky and cool stuff that happens, like the older siblings being like, right, come on, we need to do our reading record. And them going sitting with their younger brother or sister and them recording it together or mm-hmm. we've we've we genuinely have seen um a massive uptake in reading in the school. We've seen it in our attainment as well through school because children are reading more. Um but like you said, you can implement anything, but if you don't share and celebrate, that's where the problem starts to arise. 
Absolutely. And actually, the, the point you made just there about parents being able to see what their children can do, because when they're in, in the home environment, you know, very often the last thing they want to do is something that is related to the schoolwork. They want to do something that's different. So the parents um, experience of their children engaging with their learning at home may be a struggle because, you know, they and then they just don't see the success and, and the progress that they're making. But if they can see that what's going on in school, then, of course, like you mentioned, they're like, whoa, that's really good. Like, yeah, let's let's try reading this together at home. And I think that's a really great suggestion there. So thank you so much for that. Lovely. Um, I'm going to carry on with I'm going to try and go into sort of like a quick fire of just loads of random stuff that we've done um, using Shobi. And as you say, other technology um, platforms would be able to do the same or similar sort of things. Mm. Another one that we did um, was called three good things and it was basically we found lots of our children who i do three good things if anyone out there there's a lot of research that suggests that for mental health and well-being and um, back to my charity hat on um stable lives we talk about this if you can do if you can come up with three positive things a day doesn't matter what they are it can be chocolate hot chocolate and really hot chocolate I don't know you can call it with three things but whatever those three things are you force yourself every day to say three positive things and um, they can be family friends material things sentimental things and so the children actually did that during lockdown so every single day the children put their three good things into the three good things box um, and it was amazing because it really helped some children who were really struggling during that time I knew they were struggling because I could see the things that they were putting in and they were pulling teeth, but things like an orange pencil was a, a positive thing. But actually then what was really, really, really wonderful was then a year on, they had all the record of what they'd said this time last year. So we were back in school and they were saying things like, um, oh, well, I was worried about, you know, I was really happy with this, but now I've got this, this I've got six things that I'm happy about or whatever it might be. So three good things that ties into that relationships element, that one step further getting to know them more. Um, so that's one of the things that we do. And we also just call it like a celebrations box. Mm -hmm. So um, gone are the days of the, every single child bringing in the 25 meter swimming badge. Um, now we can just pop it on Shobi and we can, you know, we can still bring them in for celebration worship. We love a good celebration worship at our school, but there's, you know, there's an element to that as well. We, they can just drip feed any sort of celebrations that they have. Another thing that we did um, I talked about one step further when we get to know new children. So we started this about two, three years ago. Each child makes a video to introduce themselves. Um, we've not mentioned it, but I was put onto this podcast by a parent. And this parent was a parent who actually had this for their child happen to them. Mm. So this child was moving up from London to the Northwest. And I felt really, it was in lockdown. And I felt really really sorry for the poor kid and thought oh my gosh it's hard at any time but never mind in a lockdown situation um and we were just due to go back to school um just as he was um, arriving so every child made a video introducing themselves and giving three facts about themselves and they all videoed themselves or did a voice note and then we sent them all to that child before his first day so that child came in on the first day and went, are you Matt? You like skateboarding. I like snowboarding. That's quite similar. Shall we be friends? Um, and I was like, this, and, and I didn't think much of it at the time, but as, as the child sort of 
grew into his his time at our school, I realized just how incredibly important that was for him because he was he literally knew everybody before he walked through that door. I wasn't, I was always blessed in the fact I didn't move schools. I didn't have that experience, but speaking to the amount of people who have moved schools, one in particular, we had a military child in our school who had been in six or seven schools and everyone, he said, it was never any easier going into that classroom and not knowing anyone. So again, there's another little one, welcome videos for new starters. If you can get them to do a video back before they come, that's really, really cool as well. Um, so that was one. Um, assessment am i right to move on yeah go ahead yeah yeah Um, assessment feedback just generally like um i now mark i'm year six i mark assessments live in the moment with my ones and zeros but record myself doing so so oh you dingbat you've left you dropped a zero you missed a decimal point out you this you that you the other as i'm doing it because i just find why am i then going to give feedback after it because i'm marking in the moment they also get the they get to feel my absolute frustration at some of the silly errors that they make. Um, but actually it's, it's, it's time saving to work in smarter, not harder. Um, it's not changing the amount of time that I'm marking that text or I'm marking that reading, rec- uh, that reading paper or that maths paper, but I'm actually also giving them the feedback and then all they do, they come in, they plug in, they listen with the headphones and they look back over and they go, yeah, I was a dingbat. I made that mistake. Um, but actually using assessment and, and audio for that is really important. Using audio, um, again, I haven't done a spelling test in six years because six years ago, I recorded all my spelling tests and it took me a day. <laughs> spelling one. Da, da, da. And I did it and I copy my class every year and the children, they start on maybe level f- and we're looking at our spelling scheme and not being spelling lists. And that's another bigger, much bigger thing for this than this podcast at the moment. But the children plug themselves in. And so actually in that classroom of 30 children, 32 children, they can all be doing a separate spelling test at the exact same time. So there could be 32 spelling tests going on and they all take five minutes. So it isn't me having to read a list for group A, a list for group B, a list for group C, um, and so on uh, and it's all low stakes quizzing there's no like certificate and a mark and the children all self-mark and it's all very low stakes but I couldn't imagine having to do spelling tests ever again other than using something like Shobi to be able to record them all um, so that was that one and then lastly going back to just that whole concept of um relationships and and building community um we did a little project called express yourself and it came i think it was again a lockdown thing it might have been mental health and well-being day during lockdown i seem to think um and it was called express yourself and it was um i'm not going to try and sing but there's that very famous song called express yourself um that tt rock stars ended up putting on their playlist because i'd messaged them like this is happening it's really cool um and all the children just basically made a video about what makes them them and i've done it every year since because it told me so much i had children grooming a horse for 35 40 minutes I had one kid who was like 30 minutes in just talking about Mandalorian and like Lego and and stuff like that. But I also had a child who dressed up in a wig and a 
2-2 and I had a giant cut out of a sheep and Donald Trump in, like behind him. It was very surreal and bizarre and weird. Um, but all those things enable those children to just communicate and articulate themselves more. Um, and that, I genuinely believe, all those elements led to our production that we've just done. Um, and, oh, my days, it was like, it was West End standard. And I'm not being biased. It was that good. Um, and um, it was all down to the fact that these children felt comfortable mm. in the, themselves and in the school community. So that is very brief. I've probably got about another 50 things that I could have talked about. And I know that I'll get off this podcast and probably send you a voice clip of like another three going, oh, Matt, you need to put this in. I forgot about this. But I think, again, it's just that idea of, I really hope in my rambling um, and my quick fire throwing out of things, there might just be a seed of something there for someone that they might go, oh yeah. And some stuff that might be so far off the mark for them. And that's also absolutely fine. Um, I, I understand that everybody has a very different take on education. That's why it's so awesome. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's, it's using technology to make a real impact and a real difference. And, and we're really seeing that happen with Shobi from teaching and learning and that wider social emotional aspect too. The connectivity, the, the, uh, the opportunities that we have now are so much more and they will continue to grow in the future. And like you say, I hope any listeners listening to this, I mean, they're probably sat there kind of like overwhelmed with all these brilliant ideas. If you can just take one thing and just say, oh, do you know what? I might try doing that then that's brilliant because I think that it's just taking, well, as you've said from the start, things a, a step further just to make sure you can make those connections with the children. And like you say, help them to feel more comfortable and feel like they, they are able to be themselves and develop themselves further, which is fantastic. So thank you very much for those. No, thank you. And genuinely, please do reach out to me. Like, I actually do like speaking to people. <laughs> so like, don't feel that you can't drop me a DM or a message just sort of saying, hey, you mentioned this. Can you show me a screen image of it? Can you show me how you'd set that up? Can you, you know, that that is genuinely, I love giving a little bit back when I, and at the, we talked about this um, earlier, Matt, before we started about how you get so many incredible things from people on Twitter. And, and so it's about sometimes giving things back as well. Um, and so I'm always willing to give time to people to, to help and support them. Absolutely. Because I've seen the benefit and I've pinched plenty of other people's ideas from this podcast let alone just the Twitterverse generally. So yeah, more than welcome to help and support. That's brilliant. Uh, who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast, Chris? Um, a good friend, Faye. Um, her Twitter handle is Faye Nicole. Um, she's someone who I met through Apple Distinguished Educators. Um, I'm very proud to be an Apple Distinguished Educator. And when I met her, we aligned very clearly on these sorts of elements that I've, I've mentioned in my in my top three in primary but she works down in London and um, she's now a digital coach she's into makerspace and crazy things that I don't really understand or know um, and actually I think it's quite nice sometimes to to I love having a conversation with her because I come away with it thinking something very different to what I originally thought because she's coming at it from a totally different slant um, and she's just an awesome person to spend time with and, and to chat to too. Brilliant. That sounds great. Thank you so much for that. And finally, what is the best thing about being in primary education for you? Um, 
I forgot about this question. Mm-hmm. It it comes right back to what I've talked about all the way along. I'm I'm singing from the same hymn sheet, but if I'm being bluntly honest, I think it's the opportunity to genuinely transform a path that a child might be on um, to the betterment of them. And and I think we we struggle to do this with, as adults where we can bring our friends on and show them that they're greater than they may believe in themselves. Or I don't understand why adults can't seem to do it as much for adults like we, we do as teachers for children. But I think that ability to be able to make somebody feel great whether it be because they've got long multiplication or long division or um, just generally they're feeling good about themselves. I think for me, that's an incredible gift. It's an honour. It's something that um, it really does get me up in the morning and I I do genuinely bounce into school most mornings and not just because of the double espresso coffee that I have. But, you know, I think what an opportunity, what a unique situation to be in, what a unique job profession um to actually be able to be in where you can make a difference to one life never mind 30 or, you know um and for me I think it's that the it's those kids who come back I've been teaching in the same school which is a blessing because it means that these children come back 10 years later um I actually saw one literally yesterday and they were like, do you remember, like, do you remember when you told me that thing about how I've got to believe in myself or whatever it might be? But I, I, I listened to, I remember exactly what you said. And I told myself that I did my GCSEs and I went into my geography GCSE and I didn't believe I could do it. And I, I remember you sort of saying, if you go into it, believing you're not going to, then I was like, oh my gosh, that was like nine, 10 years ago. It was a passing fleeting comment that I made. And you've literally taken that as like a mantra through your GCSEs, you're going on to your A-levels. I think that's a profound thing. Um, It's a vocation, isn't it? It's not a job, it's a vocation. But when you get that full circle and they come back years on, um, or they just say, I always say to my kids, I always say to my kids, Matt, if you leave that door and say, cheers, sir, you've done a good, you know, I feel like you've done a good job, then I'm happy, you know, or cheers, sir, I feel cared and loved for and valued. I know I've done a good job. And I think what a great place to be. I mean, you should be able to do that in business. You should be able to do it in all these other elements as well. But that's what makes primary education special. Um, And I'm saying that having taught the class that have just left bizarrely through fate and moving classes and things. I've actually, I actually taught those for three years. So it was a really difficult thing to see them go off. But then it was actually a wonderful thing because I genuinely thought, yeah, I've done well with these guys and girls. I've, you know, I've, I've I've got them where I want them, and I know they're going on to go and do great things. Um, and that's a a real blessing to be able to behold, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. A great answer, and thank you for your time on Primary Education Voices. No, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, wasn't that fantastic? Uh, Chris was absolutely full of brilliant ideas and suggestions when it came to primary education. Uh, I love uh, a good focus on the podcast with the primary three. And again, as often with the primary three, it does turn out they were so linked and just built in one after the other. And I just loved the opportunity we had to uh, reflect and go through this journey with Chris. 
starting with relationships before learning. And, you know, building relationships is something which has come up quite a lot in terms of the importance of it and how it can really have an impact on the learning in the classroom. But what I really enjoyed about this that Chris did was how he talked about things that his he and, and his school have done uh, to help children feel loved, valued and cared for. Um, and how that has led to the impacts on the outcomes in his school. Um, obviously, uh, talk, he did talk about stable lives and uh, how that has uh, had an impact. But actually, it's knowing the children, getting to know them before they write their name, before they step through the doors, how we can get to know them and be proactive so that we can then avoid any um, concerns or issues as we go along because we know the children better. Uh, I think that's a really important principle that we learn from this. And as the learning then starts, then they can feel involved and included in the classroom uh, as part of that community. Uh, going on to that, on to his second of the primary three, using uh, a platform like Shobi. And of course, you know, we talked about how Shobi is obviously one that his school uses. But of course, there are other platforms like Google, Google Classrooms, um, Seesaw, and many other platforms that can be used in this way to share and uh, to um, videos, voice notes, messages, and all these things to help the children be more connected with what they're doing in the classroom. Uh, first of all, he talked about uh, the emotional uh, and social development of our children using this technology in a quicker and smarter way by using them as a daily check-in, uh, having some devices set up where the children can take a minute just to record their response uh, and be able to then move on to the next, onto the tasks that they need to when they first enter the classroom, uh, and doing this in a um, in an open and inclusive way. I love the suggestion of the blob tree, and like he mentioned, if you Google that, or in, or if you get in contact with Chris, he can give even more detail on the blob tree and how that works. But what it is, it's a way of children letting you know how they feel, but doing it in not a way where they are going up and sticking their name. Um, you know, next to a certain emotion in front of everyone, but actually they're doing it in a much more, um, not secretive, but a, but a more um, personal way so that, you know, not everyone is watching them do it, but also they can have it so it's a bit more open to interpretation and uh, they can express it a bit better so that we can then support them a bit better rather than having to ask, ask them. Um, you know, why they're feeling this certain emotion. It gives them that space to to share that emotion and why they're feeling that. So I thought that was really good. And then, of course, with the third of his primary three, using platforms such as Shobi for reading records to share three good things uh, to help uh, to have every child make a video or voice note of, of three facts about themselves that new, new arrivals in the school can listen to uh, in the comfort of their own home before they even join, using it for assessments and feedback and, uh, and then expressing yourself and helping the children to come out of their shells a bit more. Using this technology to connect with the, cl with the children in our class, give them opportunities to engage more uh, fully at home uh, I think is a really good way. And of course, there will be some children that may struggle to do this with the technology they have at home. Well, you have resources in school that you can, you know, let them record and give them some time to do that in the classroom so that they can join that community as well. I think that, you know, there's so, so many fantastic things that were suggested here by Chris. Uh, and as I said at the end, you know, if you're listening to all that and thinking that's a lot to, to pick from, which it is, then maybe just choose one thing that you're just going to try out in the next half term and see the impact and the development of the community that it gives you in your classroom. I thought it was a really inclusive and insightful discussion we had with Chris, uh, thinking about how we can help children 
uh, feel loved, valued, and cared for, cared for. And I thought that was great. So thank you so much, Chris, uh, for coming on to the podcast. And thank you, listener, uh, for sharing your recommendation uh, via email. If you know someone that you'd love to hear more from uh, on this podcast, you can either um, direct message me on Twitter at, um, at uh, my personal Twitter, mroberts90matt, or you can um, use the Primary Education Voices Twitter, that's Prime Edu Voices, or you can email primaryeducationvoices at gmail.com. It'd be great to hear uh, your uh, thoughts, feedback, and suggestions for future episodes of the podcast with future guests. Uh, thank you so much for joining me for another Primary Education Voice, and we'll see you again next time when we'll meet another inspirational ed- educator.